There is a chance for the President of the United States to use this disaster to carry out what his father, a phrase his father used, I think, only once and hasn't been used since, and that is a new world order. New world coming. America will become increasingly vulnerable to hostile attack on our homeland. And our military superiority will not entirely protect us. Not protect us. Americans will likely die on American soil. And I believe it will also be said of this age, the first decade of the 21st century, that out of what is, will be seen as the greatest restructuring of the global economy, perhaps one even greater than at the time of the Industrial Revolution, a new world order was created. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. Now, get ready to enter the zone where real life is stranger than fiction. The place where the news may seem like a dream and the dream may be a matrix of reality. Let us now expose all lie of the devil and bring to light all the secrets of the enemy because God truth will set you free. John 832. You're listening to This Week in the Zone with your host and watchman on the wall, Phil Armstrong. Probably one of the greatest tragedies uh, in Christianity today, I believe, is the apostasy concerning the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I honestly believe that those among us here who are really looking for His coming and yearning for it would be absolutely shocked at the masses in Christianity today who no longer believe in the coming of the Lord. They have jettisoned that from their thinking and their theology. They are not looking for His coming. They are saying He will not come in my lifetime. Our teachings now saying He he may not come for centuries. And so they have put away and out of mind the truth of His coming. We are seeing fulfilled right before our eyes the warning of Peter. The apostle, there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the sign of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of time. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Paul says more than once to Timothy, be sober, be sober, be sober. The end of the world is coming. Dear Lord, if it was coming 2,000 years ago, where are we tonight? Makes me wonder if he's coming for those who are not expecting him. He said, for those who look for him shall he appear the second time without sin under salvation. The crown of righteousness waiting for all who are looking, yearning, loving his appearance. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord is coming. Come on, there's not much time left. I'm going into his eternal presence forever. So what if I suffer a little? What if I'm not right? No matter what happens to the society, if you have ever uppermost in your mind that Jesus is coming at any moment, any hour, as he said he would, this is a motivation to holiness. It's a motivation to keeping focused on Jesus Christ no matter what happens in your day and age. And we have a whole army of ministers in the pulpit today, preachers of peace, saying, Relax. You're okay. I'm okay. Relax. And because iniquity shall abound, 
escalate like a avalanche the literal word like an avalanche nothing can stop it it just escalates more and more and nothing can stop because iniquity and lawlessness literally because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold the Greek the love of the most who profess Christianity who wax cold God's sake it's happening right now sir in case you don't see because iniquity shall abound the love of many foacks call but he that endureth unto the end shall be saved shall be saved who then is a faithful and wise servant who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. The Bible says he began to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. Now this servant is not eating and drinking Christ anymore. He's not into the Word. He's bored with the Word of God now. He doesn't want to hear anything about the coming of the Lord because it's going to ruin his lifestyle now. Because you see, the world is creeping in. The spirit of the age is creeping in. This man's thinking is changing completely. I've got all the time in the world. You know a lot of Christians today are living for the devil and saying, well, uh, he's not coming right now anyhow, but if, if I get sick and before I die, I'll repent. Chances are you won't get that chance. Because only those who expect the coming of the Lord are feeding on Christ. What are you eating and drinking? Are you as much in love with Jesus this morning while I'm talking to you as you were a year ago? Are you as hungry for the Word of God? Or have you, Jesus put, have you put Jesus on the back side of your mind? He's back here somewhere and you say, Oh yeah, I believe Him, I trust Him, but you know, I've got all these things to do. I've got things in my life. And little by little, you eat and drink the other things of this world and you are, you are not focused now on Jesus. You are not eating and drinking. And the only reason you would do that is because you really don't believe Jesus is coming soon. If you really believe Jesus is coming at any moment, and you believe what he said, be ye ready. You see, when you're not eating and feasting on Christ, you don't expect his return. You turn to the world. You turn to its filth. It's time for us to love purity and stop loving the pollution that comes through the airwaves and television and radio and the smut that's being printed in magazines and books. We need to sober up and realize that God is active to save and by default He is also active to judge and that there are souls perishing. Eating and drinking with the drunken. It means that you're eating the same food, drinking the same food that's intoxicated the world. They are intoxicated now with sports and entertainment. And not one thought of spending an hour along with Jesus in the Word. 
There's an intoxication with sports in the United States that is absolutely demonic. There's nothing filthier than soap operas. Nothing. Nudity, filth, adultery, fornication. And I'm going to look you right in the eye and tell you that if you're sitting there when Jesus comes and you're watching that filth, how do you expect to come out of that cesspool suddenly into the arms of Jesus? Come on now. How do you sit there and watch those talk shows that are nothing but slop from the very pits? Absolute filth. And you're going to feed on that? You're going to drink that drink? You're going to eat that food with the drunk and get intoxicated with this? This is life and death. If you think I'm putting on a show, then you're missing the whole point. What are you eating and drinking from that computer? Come on, what are you eating and drinking? And I say this for the young people especially. Ten years ago, I couldn't have preached this. This is where we're headed, folks. And I'm telling you, it's going to... You are going, if you are drinking and eating at the wrong table, if you start eating and drinking with the drunken, you will not make it. I say it again, you will not make it. Because Jesus says, the Bible says clearly, evil men are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And you and I cannot sit here now. If, if we had the full vision, we would all be on our feet weeping or on our knees and on our face if we knew what's coming. To be in love with the appearing is to have a sense of reality. What do I mean by reality? The judgments of God that are here and that are coming upon the earth in mass. And then the eternal judgment of God most Christians are not in touch with reality. They're not sober. There's moments and glimpses when we need God, but there's not a sense that the earth is pregnant with the judgments of God, that at the end of the age, the earth will experience the most ravaging judgments of God ever, and then there will be an eternal judgment. We don't think about these things. First of all, you must have in your home a renewed vision of the soon return of Jesus Christ. There has to be a cry in you so that your children hear it. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So the church needs a sense of sobriety that things are not going to continue on the way they are. And this has to be uppermost in your mind. If, if, if you don't have this truth burning and, and, and alive, a flame in your heart, saying, oh, Jesus, I believe that you can come at any moment. I want to be prepared. Oh, God, by your Holy Spirit, enable me. Give me power to live for you. Hey, all, all that is in this life, thank God for family, thank God for friends, thank God for his blessings. But there's, this is not the real world. This is not the real world. We're going somewhere for eternity. This is just a little piece of eternity cut out called time and space to repent. A little time and space to, to, to prepare our hearts for the glory of God that awaits us. I'm not living for today. You're going to stand before me. It's appointed unto man once to die after this, the judgment. And folks, we're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to stand before him as believers. Some of you are going to be damned. You're not going to be saved. The Lord's going to bind you hand and foot and cast into outer darkness for an eternity. And your hell 
is going to be so much more terrifying than the heathen. Because the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is expected. Sadly, some of you who can look at Brother Carter, you can look at me, you say, I love my pastors. I love these men. But you're still going to hell. You're going to die and go to hell. Because you have never fully yielded. You're still not... You don't even pick this up at home. You're not into it. You never get alone with Him and seek Him. You're not eating and drinking. Christ. You've not become that faithful, wise servant. You still speak doubt. You speak unbelief. If you loved Him, and you believe He's coming, you'll run to Him. The Bible says, absolutely, the law is meant to bring you to such a state of helplessness and terror that you're driven to Christ and His mercy. And preaching like this is, is intended to become a law to you that exposes your laziness, exposes everything that's unlike Jesus in you to produce a holy terror that you would say, I will run to His mercy. His mercy is for those only who have already been convicted of their sins and admit I've sinned and, uh, and know that their sins are going to damn them. And once you know that, you run to Jesus and that's when His mercy is given to you. He floods you. That's when the peace, that's when the miracle happens. And that's why there's not much conviction in the church anymore. That's why people are not really turning to the Lord with all their heart because the law of the Lord has not been laid down as a mirror to convict them of their sins. There has to be conviction. And if you're here this morning and you're convicted, there's something turning and twisting in your heart. This wasn't to be cute this morning. This is to tell you if you've been sitting there drinking smut, lay it down. I'm telling you, you're going to go to hell. Folks, this is not a game. It's your eternal soul. And I will not stand before my Maker. I'll not stand before my blessed Jesus. I tell you, I will not. And have anybody's blood on my hands. When I stand there and you are there beside me, to let you know in all love I told you Sunday morning I preached about his coming I talked about that stuff you were drinking it was going to damn you I prayed that you would turn I begged you I pleaded I did everything I used God's hair I used his law I used his mercy you don't pay me for this say oh brother Dave those, those are old fashioned older techniques from a century ago. No. I don't care what anybody calls it. I'm after your soul. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Jesus, I come to you to be cleansed, to be forgiven, and to be changed. I need a new mind. Oh, God. 
forgive me for eating and drinking the wrong food and the wrong drink. Give me strength and a desire to feed on Christ and His Word, to pray and to seek the Lord with all my heart. Forgive me, Jesus. I know you're coming soon. I want to be ready. Touch me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And give me this hope. Are you ready to meet him now?
today. Well, you spoke to me from your heart. And I ask you, Lord, to convey that message through my lips. Sanctify me. to be nothing that can hinder the flow of the Holy Spirit. We ask you for a demonstration of the Holy Ghost and power. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you manifest yourself in the course of this message, I pray. Amen. Satan's final war plan exposed. The devil has a war plan, and we're going to expose it this morning. Hallelujah. Now, there's a final war, you know. It's called Armageddon. Millions of men are going to gather in the Mideast, and there's going to be a final war. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. There's going to be a lot of bloodshed. But simultaneously, there's another final war. And this final war is far more important to us and to God than Armageddon. Armageddon is just a clean-up job for God. He's just going to clean up the mess. He's going to come forth with his power and his glory, and, and, and we know the outcome of that war. But there's another war going on simultaneously, and it's begun, and it's in effect even now. And that's the spiritual war. This, this is the war that's been declared, yes, in the Garden of Eden. You say there's always been a spiritual war, heaven against hell. Uh, but folks, the devil in these last days is changing his strategy. He's changing his plan. Because the Bible says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, the devil's come down to you having great wrath, knowing his time is short. Now, see, this is placing this battle, this last strategic battle, after the cross, because he's talking about those who've overcome by the blood and those who have the testimony of the Lamb. So this is after Calvary, it's after the cross. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Dragon was wroth with the woman. The woman is the church of Jesus Christ. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Right, this places the war that we're talking about after the cross, those who have been uh, covered by the blood of Christ, and this leads to the last, very last day of time, the battle that I'm speaking about. The scripture says he knows he has a short time, and, he, and the Bible says that he comes down. He's actually going to make his headquarters. He's going to be among us here on this earth. He's come down unto you, and he, he's in a rage because he knows that his time is very short. This is the last of the last days. Very clearly marked here. I don't know what others are preaching about spiritual warfare. I hear a lot of stuff that is foolishness. And even when you say spiritual warfare, a lot of people pull back. But the Bible makes it clear that there's a war going on in the heavens. There's a spiritual battle now for your mind and your soul. There's a spiritual battle in the Bible. Paul talks about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Weapons of war, our war, it says. Our war. The war that you and I fight as the seed of Jesus Christ. He's going after the seed, the scripture says. And this is the battle far more important in the eyes of God and hell than Armageddon itself. The Spirit is going to expose the stratagems of the devil for this last day. I'm just thinking of the strategy the devil has used ever since the Garden of Eden. Think of the strategy Satan used in the wilderness. 
Satan went after, the scripture says, those that were stragglers of the camp, the rear guard. He came against the weak. He came against those who were crippled and those who were diseased. He kept up with those. He, he, he came against those who were uh, not really Jews, but they, they came out of Israel with the Jews. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And they were stragglers. They were really not with Israel, but he came on the rear guard. Uh, almost tepid about coming into the camp itself. But when he did come to the camp, it, it, the, the, the battle then was in the natural realm. It had to do with food. It had to do with water. It, it, it had to do with just existence itself. And Satan came and tempted in, in these areas of flesh and appetite. And very little of the warfare of Satan against the church of the wilderness was aimed at the leadership. You'll find only a few occasions he came against Aaron uh, for a season. He came uh, against Saul. He came against David. And, and you find individuals, but it's rare. And you find many of these men falling. But at, at that time, Satan's warfare had to do with appetite. It had to do with the belly. It had to do with nature. But then comes the cross of Jesus Christ. Then comes uh, a need for a new strategy, a new plan. And folks, the devil has, the Bible says we're not ignorant of the devices or the wiles of the devil. The wiles mean plans, strategies. The very word uh, is strategy. We're, we're, we're not ignorant of his strategy. His strategy keeps changing. And now we, have, we come to the cross. We come to the strategy now of Satan coming against entire congregations. He comes against the laity. He, he comes against the church body. He comes against whole congregations. And it's amazing when you, when you follow it. He, he attacked the Corinthian church with a flood of lust and carnality. He comes to the Galatian church with a bewitching spirit. Paul said, having begun in the spirit... Are you now seeking perfection through the works of the law? Who has bewitched you? Who's cast a spell on you? A new strategy from the enemy. He's going after entire congregations. He's going after the laity. You follow it through in, in Revelation, first few chapters of Revelation. Uh, Ephesus, he attacks the church. He attacks the love and devotion to Christ. At Smyrna, Satan cast some of them in prison. He sent blasphemers into their midst. At Pergamos, false doctrine was sent to leaven the church. At Thyatira, the devil sent teachers in with the Jezebel spirit to seduce the congregations into fornication. And when you come to Sardis, you find formality and deadness cast upon them. And at Laodicea, the spirit of lukewarmness covetousness, materialism, blinded the whole congregation. You see, he's going after the laity, he's going after the congregation, he's going after the masses of believers. You very find, very seldom do you find in the New Testament him going after, or being able to bring down spiritual leadership. Those who are spiritual men, leaders of the church of Jesus Christ, you, you find him coming again as he did in the Old Testament, shipwrecks, beatings, jailings. He comes after Paul in the flesh. 
But you don't see Paul folding under it. You don't hear Peter. And you hear none of the disciples other than Judas. He's not... The battle now is for the church, the laity. He, he's going after. He's coming stages, you see. Works in the natural. But he comes against the congregation. And we're going to see in just a moment where he's moving now. And I know I got this from the Holy Spirit. And God's been dealing with my heart on this issue very strongly. And it's impacted my, my, my spiritual life. And I trust it will do the same for you this morning. You see, the buffetings were, yes, they were against the flesh, and also in the spiritual realm. But you find it against the masses. And I'm saying now that in this last day, in this short period of time, the devil with such wrath knows he has to change his strategy. And the strategy is this. I'm going after the leaders. I'm going to focus all my attention on everyone who has spiritual authority. Everyone who walks close to Christ. Every prayer warrior. I'm going after their, I'm going after their very faith. I'm going after their homes, their marriages. I'm going to try to paralyze every spiritual man and woman on the face of the earth. Now, you find a, a, a little glimpse of this strategy in the Old Testament the devil used. Ahab and, and uh, Jehoshaphat are waging war, declared war on Syria. And the devil changed his strategy. Just a little glimpse of what was to come in the last days. I'm sure Satan remembered that strategy and how it worked. He had 32 captains. And he called them together and he says, I've got a strategy, I've got a plan. I want 32 captains, the charioteers, the captains of the chariots, and we have one mission. I don't want you to fight with any soldiers. I want you to go right through the camps of the enemy and I want you to get Saul. Let me read it to you. The king of Syria commanded his 30 and 2 captains that had rule over the chariots saying, Fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. He said, we get him, they're all going to flee. They have no leadership. They have no one with authority. They'll run to their homes and they'll run to the caves. And that's exactly what happened when an arrow by chance, it wasn't by chance, you and I know that, but an arrow hits Saul, he dies in his chariot, and the scripture says there was a proclamation made throughout the host, every man now to his city, every man to his own country. In other words, we have no leadership. Every man for himself. Run. And all that's happening to the church of Jesus Christ today as we see this strategy unfolding everywhere we look. Pastors, missionaries, Christian leaders, deacons, elders falling left and right. Spiritual authority being robbed. We see this strategy unfolding before our very eyes. This was the strategy used in Iraq. They were called special forces and they were sent six months before the war into Baghdad. And their whole job, they were dressed as Arabs. And they had a bankroll. And they were to trail Saddam Hussein everywhere he went. And you remember the night of the first bombing. The first attack came because there was an intelligence report. And they called it strategic planning. And that first 
huge bombing effort came on a palace where intelligence said Saddam and his staff were having a meeting. And many still believe he was killed in that first attack. But if you remember the war, the British were given the city to the, the, that was blocking to the right and a highway all the way to Baghdad, 150 miles of troops and tanks. One purpose. One purpose. Surround Baghdad, get Saddam. Get the leadership. Don't fight with the Iraqi army. Go to the elite corps, the Republican Guard, and when we get that Republican Guard and those 50 leaders, they'll fall and they'll collapse. And within two weeks of the war, remember, there was confusion in the Iraqi army because they said, there's no leadership, there's no one there. It's inoperative. The authority's gone. Satan's final war against the Church of Christ is targeted at the elect. Paralyze every spiritual leader. Destroy, seduce, bewitch all spiritual authority. And now you see the devil's laid his hands on every invention of man to use in this battle. The devil owns the internet. He owns it. 300,000 porno sites. He owns it. He owns the film industry. HBO. I don't even know what it means. <laughs> but I read that that's some of the worst filth coming out of hell. I don't even know what the music channel is. I don't have television. But he owns television now. He owns commercial television. He owns network television. Because you see, up to this time they said, we, we're going to stretch the envelope. That means, see how far we can go without the people rising up, without a moral outcry. Outcry against this filth and smut. And there's no outcry anymore. And now, I read in the New York Times, these were from film directors in the Cannes Festival in France, and they were boasting publicly, we're no longer stretching the envelope, we've torn it up, we're going over the ledge. That means anything goes. And folks, who is all of this, where, who, who's the devil aiming at? Now, do you think he's aiming at all the people who are hooked on pornography now? All of the wicked masses who are hooked on the lust of the flesh, he already owns them. The king of Syria said, I'm not wasting any ammunition, no chariots, no manpower on these masses. All my power, everything is aimed at the leadership. These things are aimed now. Everything out of hell is aimed. You say, are you talking only about pastors? It evangelists? No, I'm... I'm, I'll let me tell you what gives you spiritual authority. Let me tell you what in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the devil, make you marked. In the eyes of God, marked for righteousness and marked for usefulness. In the devil's eye, marked for this final attack. Is that you have set your heart on Christ. You seek Him with all your heart and mind and soul and spirit. You've turned from the things of this world. And, and you have laid a hold of something that you won't let go and the devil knows it. And you're a testimony of the righteousness of Christ in this dark, wicked age. If you're a praying man or woman, believing, trusting God, living in His righteousness by faith, you are marked. You're in that 
leadership. You were in that elite guard. Not, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's not going after the children of death. He's not going after his own children. He's got them. Why would he waste any? He'd be a stupid devil to waste his ammunition on those he's already killed. Satan understands that secret sin in a spiritual man will paralyze him. All his power and authority will be gone. And if sin is persisted on and becomes habitual, he knows the man can no longer speak for God, can no longer have any impact on anyone living in sin. The Bible says, now in the King James it said, dead flies in the ointment. But in the original Hebrew it says, flies of death cause the ointment of the pocket theory to send forth a stinking savor, smell. So doth the little folly, him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. He says, God says, I want to I show you. He's speaking from his word. I want to show you. It's, the, it's that dead fly. It's what you think insignificant has not been judged. And you, that the enemy comes and just throws in that sweet-smelling savor, that prayer life. There's a dead fly. See, there's a compromise. There's something of the world. There's something out of sin. There's something of flesh. And, and he, the Bible says, the dead fly in your oil of anointment, your oil of unction, your oil of anointing, the dead fly, that one thing that God's been dealing with, that one thing, he said, that, that beautiful aroma has been coming up again to send forth a stench. To stink up the place. And anyone who's been touched with the favor of God and held in honor. You see, the Lord says, no dark place in our hearts. Nothing that the enemy can touch. Satan comes with has nothing in me. And there's a reason for that. And that will unfold here as you see it in just a moment. You see, the devil's plan is to put this fly of death. Just a touch of flesh. A touch of the world. Let me tell you what's at stake. And the reason Satan's now focusing all his power on the spiritual man. Paul sets forth the issue, and here it is. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. Paul said, now there's a spiritual man and there's a natural man. The spiritual man knows the mind of Christ. He's full of the Holy Ghost. No part dark, no flies of death in him. He's got spiritual wisdom. He has revelation from God. He has an open heaven. And God reveals his mind to the spiritual man. The scripture says, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Things that no man can know. And God gives it. And speaks it through those who are spiritual. Paul said, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. He said, When you came to hear me preach, and when I came to Corinth, he was speaking about his visit to Corinth, and he said, When I came to you, he said, I determined to know nothing among you save Christ and Him crucified. Because Paul knew that congregation. They were living in fornication, incest. They, they were living in covetousness. 
they, they were coming and drinking unworthily at the, the Lord's table. And he said, he, he, he said, I had to make a determination how I was going to come to you. I can't come with wisdom. He said, I learned it at Athens. That I can't match my wits with the world. He said, I determined when I come to you, I'll know nobody. I'll preach nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But he said, when I came to you, and this is in retrospect, he's looking back and in a letter, he said, when I came to you, you know how I came. Some of you said my, my speech was contemptible. You could hardly stand my, my delivery. But he said it wasn't in my preaching. It wasn't in man's wisdom. But I had an anointing on me. I had heard from heaven. And I came in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost and power. Now what is that? Demonstration of the Holy Ghost. We have a lot of people who think the demonstration of the Holy Ghost people falling on the floor. Wiggling. Shaking. Now God can shake you and wiggle you. I, I, I believe God can take people and just prostrate them. I'm not mocking that. But that's not what Paul's talking about. The demonstration of the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with Paul's body. It was not raising his voice like I'm raising mine right now because a loud voice doesn't, it doesn't imply anointing. Sometimes when you get anointed, you can't help it. You just explode. But that does not designate the anointing. See, the demonstration of the Holy, Sp Holy Spirit was not some... Our, our countenance that changed in Paul. He was not doing anything but quietly delivering the word of God and there was suddenly a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. It was the word of God delivered through a spiritual man. You see, the Corinthians had moved out of the spiritual realm into the natural realm. And that's what's happening to the church of Jesus Christ today. You sit in front of a television and you drink and drink and drink and I'm telling you, slipping hour by hour into the natural man that can no longer comprehend the things of God because you lose your discernment. And now, Paul said, I'm coming to Corinth to a natural people. Living in the flesh, they're natural again. They're not spiritual men and women. They're carnal. The carnal man is the natural man. He said, I couldn't even speak to you as spiritual people anymore. Demonstration of the Holy Ghost with power was the effect his preaching had on the hearers, on the people, on the Corinthians. And let me give you an explanation of the demonstration, and here it is. You see, Paul had preached about separation and holiness. But be not, unequal, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Come out from among them. Be separate and clean. Touch not the unclean thing. Touch not the unclean thing. And that word of Paul was so anointed of the Holy Spirit. There was a demonstration. Life change is the demonstration. People walking out of the house of God with a message they can't shake out of their head. Or out of their heart. And they have to act on it. Because the Holy Spirit keeps moving them in the direction of the word they've received. And here it is. You sorrowed to repentance. 
You were made sorry after godly manner. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what cleansing, what carefulness, what clearing of yourself, indignation, what zeal, what fear, what vehement desire, what revenge. In all things you've reproved yourselves clear in this matter. He said you wouldn't eat, sleep, you wouldn't do anything until you made sure you lined up to the word that I preached. They had drifted from Christ and were compromising. You see, folks, here's the dilemma. We go out now. Let me put it as simply as I can. You show me a church of 10,000, 25,000 people, masses coming. And those that come to church, if they're not a preaching of repentance, if they're not changing, they're, they're all natural people. They're carnal. They're still living in sin because there's no message and no conviction and no Holy Ghost moving in the church. And if the man in the pulpit is just a man of ambition, if he too is in the natural and he is in the flesh, then I'm going to tell you that a whole congregation could go to hell because they've never had a message. They don't understand. There's nobody there to open their eyes. There's no message from heaven that pierces the wall. There's nothing that gets through to the heart. And I'm convinced there's many people are going to hell in the church than anywhere else in society. Going to hell right in church because natural men are speaking to natural men and they don't understand. The divorce rate in the church equals the divorce rate in the world now. The divorce rate in the ministry equals the divorce rate in secular society. What a sad comment. Now what's my point? Satan knows that men seduced back into the realm of the natural can no longer hear or receive a word that can change a life. Comes blinded. There's no message, no anointing, nothing that pierces the heart. And that's why Satan's going after every spiritual elder, deacon, Sunday school teacher, anyone in any kind of ministry, choir, going after with everything out of hell. And I'm telling you, folks, there's never been a time when you have been more tested than you are now. Come on now. You have never been more tested. Your faith has never been more tried than it is now. I was talking to a neighbor recently. I just walked over, talked to him. He was drinking. He said, are you the reverend? I said, yeah. He said, I, I thought some old foggy preacher's going to move next to me when you moved here. He said, but I checked you on the internet. He said, I think you're okay. <laughs> he, he said, I got to talk to you, sir. He said, I, my wife left me two years ago. 
I had a, I was a high up executive in a company and he named the company and said two years ago they just fired me. No explanation, just cut me off after almost 20 years of service. And he said to top it off, the only thing I'd left was my dog and I loved that dog and it was killed. Car accident. Car ran over, a police officer ran over. And he said, I've been here two years just drinking. Here's a natural man. And I just stood listening to this man. I said, oh God. Tony away. I can get one word to that man. Gets to his heart. There better be nothing in my life that hinders the voice of God. I had better hear from heaven. I don't want any dead fly in me. And I'm thinking, God, no dead flies. And I thank God I could stand there and the Lord says, you have the word. And I gave him just two or three paragraphs, two or three cutting sentences. I know it right to his heart. And I, I look out of my room where I pray and I look right over to his house and I know the Holy Ghost is there moving. He's still quoting those words over and over again. They were just probably two paragraphs, but it got right to you to the heart. Folks, never in history have we needed, have we needed spiritual people who know the mind of Christ and they can stand against the world and all of the natural things that, that's just destroying mankind and have that word that penetrates and changes where there's a demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Folks, to, tonight, to this, after, this morning and all day, you may sit quiet. You may not even respond emotionally to what I'm saying, but I hope and pray when you walk out the door, God will have said something to you that will change your life. Make some changes. Your life has already been changed, but make those changes that are necessary to come into the fullness that the Lord has prepared for you. He said, well, Brother Wilson, uh, what's God going to do about all this? If the devil has a plan, what does, does God have a plan? Well, I want to tell you something. The, de the, the Lord is not going to come down and fight your battle with the devil. He's already done that. He's already conquered the devil. He, he's, made, he, he's been victor. He's beyond the reach of Satan. The devil can't tempt him anymore, but he says, Now, you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, God doesn't have to change his plan. He's had one eternal purpose from the beginning, and that, that's focus on Jesus Christ, and we know that. But let me show you, and, and I've read this over and over again, but the Holy Spirit pointed this out to me. What I believe, the Holy Spirit is wanting to achieve and is achieving now in this last hour. This amazing verse in Isaiah 9-7, don't turn there, but because of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. The government shall be upon his shoulders and of the increase of that government, there shall be no end. In other words, there, from the very time that the government of God was established, those, through the testimony of Jesus Christ, He is Lord, the Holy Spirit says, I come and inhabit you, but I come to govern your life. And it implies that once you come under the government of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of Christ, when you come under that government, there is to be a continual increase. There has to be an increase. We increase in obedience, in submission, subjection to all that the Word of God speaks to us. 
until this nothing, nothing is believed, nothing is done, everything is judged by the word of the Lord, by the voice of the Holy Spirit, of the increase of his government. Are you under the government of the Holy Spirit? This is how I believe God is going to protect his leadership. He's going to protect all of those who are in the spiritual man. He's going to protect you, not by... He, he's not going to end pornography. Evil men are going to wax worse and worse, the Bible said. Things are going to get so bad that sexual content will be bestial. It will be incestuous. It will be with children. It's going to be with animals. It's going to be the most incredible filth and smut the world's ever known. And, and God's not going to stop that right now until the end. The devil is going to come with his flood. The flood is going to increase. The flood tides are going to get higher. But he's going to build up a spiritual immunity. He's going to do something in the hearts of his people. Because the government of Jesus Christ is going to increase more and more. He's going to have a body who are more and more subjected to the Holy Ghost. Who cry out for that direction. Who submit themselves in prayer and to the word of God. And they begin to judge their sins righteously. We're to judge righteous judgment. Now, I want you to follow me before I close. I'm going to wrap this up in just a moment. Verse 7 again. He will establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even for more. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. God says that zeal means jealousy. He said, I, in the last days, he, when he sees this attack of the enemy... God says, I'm going to rise with a jealousy. And I'm going to accomplish my purpose. And my purpose, as he describes here, I'm going to bring divine order. And I'm going to bring forth a spirit of judgment. Now that's not, that, that is not judgment against us. This has to do with something far different. It's something he's going to do in our hearts. A spirit of judgment against anything that Satan throws against us. In other words, the Holy Ghost is going to make you a magistrate of your own heart. And the word there is litigation. You have been listening to The Prophecy Zone on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to check out our website at www.pzrn.org. Also, like us on Facebook at Prophecy Zone Radio News and at YouTube at Prophecy Zone. Be sure to check us out next time on the Prophecy Zone as we explore the past, observe the present, and hope for the soon future return of the Savior Jesus. <laughs>